You are listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Sunnybrook Church, including our Sunday gathering times and opportunities throughout the week, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Jeff Mose. It was A.W. Tozer that one time said, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. In other words, what you believe about God affects your entire life. It affects how you view yourself. It affects how you view other people. It affects how you view this world. If you have a high and a lofty view of God, then you live a high and a holy life. If you have a low view of God, then you live a low view of life and rather self-centered. And what I want you to see together is this, that what comes to mind when you think about God is actually the most important thing about you. We're starting a brand new series entitled God Is. We're going to talk about the attributes of God. And by attributes, we simply mean the characteristics, the qualities, what God is actually like. We're going to take a look at the fact that God is holy. We're going to take a look at the fact that God is unchanging. We're going to take a look at the fact that God is love and all of the attributes of God. We're going to list them and go into depths as to what they're about. And here's what I love about the attributes of God. Every single attribute of God seems to minister to one problem and difficulty that we have in life. So whatever the problem, the difficulty that you're going through, usually there is an attribute of God that ministers to it. And today, we want to talk about the fact that God is merciful. Now, if you're here today, if you're hurting and you're lonely, you're thinking about sort of giving up on life, I want to introduce you to a person, a prophet from the Old Testament by the name of Jeremiah, who understands exactly what you're going through. He's going to speak to us today from Lamentations chapter 3, sometimes simply known as Jeremiah's Lament, because he was going through difficulty. He was going through hurt. He was about ready to give up so you and I can relate. In fact, in Lamentations chapter 3, in the opening 18 verses, he's going to say it in a much more bible way than what I'm about to say, but here's what he says in essence. People suck. Life isn't fair. I'm filled with anxiety, and what's worst of all is God doesn't seem to care. Now, he said it much more bible than what I just did, but that in essence is what he's saying. And now as he comes in verse 19, he says, in light of all that, I want to remind myself of this. I want to posture myself before God. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them well, and my soul is downcast within me. And then he pivots. Yet this I will call to mind, and therefore I have hope. What does he call to mind? In the midst of his hurt, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of feeling like giving up, what does he call to mind? calls to mind one of the most beautiful characteristics of God. He calls to mind the mercy of God, the faithful love of the Lord, he says, never ends. And here's the attribute. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Now, here's what you're going to notice about the attributes of God. Many of them overlap. But yet, I want to see that every single one of them has some sort of distinction to them. And what I want to try to do through this series is I want to try to make them incredibly clear for you. You know, one of my favorite compliments that people will say every now and then is, Jeff, you're easy to understand. Now, by that, you usually mean you're not all that smart. 
but it's probably my favorite compliment. I would much rather be easy to understand than I would be smart. And I want you to see as we walk through these attributes together that we're going to start off on an easy understanding. I'm going to go a little bit deeper today. Sometimes preachers think that they're deep when they're difficult to understand. I'm going to get there. And then eventually I'm going to come to the other side. I'm going to give you clarity as to what the mercy of God is all about. Now I'm going to start with this idea of three attributes of God. And I want you to kind of follow along. The first attribute would be this, the justice of God. And the justice of God is this, when you and I get what we deserve. Isn't it true whenever you and I see some crime on television, we say, in effect, listen, I hope they get justice. We watch what happened with the killing of these four college students in Moscow, Idaho, and I said to myself, man, I hope they give him justice. Justice is when you and I get what we deserve. The second attribute is known as the grace of God. When you and I get what we don't deserve. Every single one of us through faith in Jesus Christ has been given salvation. Did any of us deserve it? Absolutely not. It came as a free gift. It is unmerited, unearned favor of God. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, is when you don't get what you do deserve. Think about it for a moment. When it comes to justice, we want other people to get justice, don't we? We want us to get justice. We want other people to get justice. What we want for ourselves is we want mercy. Let me give you an example. Any of you ever been to traffic court before? Any of you ever had a ticket before? In the 20 years that I've been in Sioux City, Iowa, I've never once got a speeding ticket, but I'll be honest with you, I did one time run a red light. I was making my way back from the hospital. I'm driving on Pierce Street. When I get to that place about by Perkins there, I'm going to make my way onto I-29. I see the light change to yellow. The light changes to yellow. you got one of two choices, don't you? You can either hit the brake or hit the gas. I'm kind of a hit the gas sort of guy, and I did. As you know, as I'm making my way through this yellow light, sure enough, there is a policeman, and he pulls me over. And he tells me, allegedly, I had run through a red light. So I got to show up at court. I arrived there, and about a quarter of the people in the court that day were Sunnybrookers. <laughs> oh, no. And you could hear the whispers. You could hear the gossip. There's Pastor Jeff. I wonder what in the world he did wrong. Ooh, there's Pastor Jeff. And then everybody makes their way front. And as they stand before the judge, do you realize there was nobody guilty in that entire courtroom? Not one. It was a yellow light. I didn't see it. I wasn't speeding. They just caught me at the speed, but I wasn't really. There wasn't a guilty person in that entire courtroom. Now they call off my name. I do the walk of shame to the front, and the judge says to me, what's your story? I said, be honest with you, I'm guilty. I said, I saw it turn yellow. I had a decision to make. I was either going to hit the gas or hit the brake. I hit the gas. I'm guilty. He says, you're what? I said, I'm guilty. So do you realize you are the only guilty person in this entire courtroom? For that reason, forget about your ticket. And I walk out, high-fiving the Sunnybrookers all the way out. I receive mercy. I got something that I did not deserve. We want justice with regards to other people. We want mercy with regards to us. 
The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 is going to do a contrast between what you and I are like outside of the mercy of God and what you are like when we receive the mercy of God. And it begins in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. He says, listen, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. All of us used to live in the way, following the passions, the desires, and the inclinations of our sinful nature. So listen, we were all alike. Outside of Christ, every single one of us did what we wanted, acted like we wanted, went in our own direction, did our own thing. All of us who were under the power of the evil one lived however we wanted to. And then he says this, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everybody else. We were subject to God's anger, to God's wrath. Now, here's what I want to ask you this morning. Is it possible because we preach about a God of love that he's also a God of anger, he's also a God of wrath? Is it possible that those two characteristics can actually exist in the same God? I'm here to tell you that they can. And I want to give you an illustration and recognize this is a human illustration, so it's going to break down. I'm at some point going to compare you to God, and if you didn't notice, you are not God, so it breaks down at some point. But let's suppose for a moment you have a child, and you love this child greatly, but the child makes a decision that they are going to lie to you as mom and dad. Do you still love that child? Absolutely you love that child, but you are angry at that child that they would make that choice. Let's suppose you have a friend, and you love this friend very much, but they struggle with alcohol. In fact, last night they made a decision they were going to both drink and drive, putting not only themselves in harm's way, but other people as well, and you are furious with them. You love this person, but you're angry with them. Maybe you're a wife here this morning, and your husband leaves the toilet seat up, and you are angry with them. You love them, but you're angry with them. Again, not something I know about, just something I read or heard from some of you. You love them, but you're angry with them. Isn't that true about the nature and the character of our God as well? That he loves us, but when he looks and sees our sin and our failure and our shortcoming because of his righteousness, because of his holiness, because of his justice, he's angry, he has wrath toward our sin. Ephesians 2 says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you went in that direction, you did whatever you wanted, and because of that, the anger of God rests on you. But the scripture goes on to say this, but God. Those have to be two of the most powerful words in all of scripture. We're going to see them several places in both the Old and the New Testament, but God. It's almost as if those two words change everything. Here's the way that man was heading, but God. Here's the things that man was doing wrong, but God. Isn't it true that's a conjunction that almost negates everything that was said before it? Ever had anybody say to you, hey, listen, I don't want to gossip, but, and then they go ahead and gossip. I don't want to be mean, but then oh, go ahead, and they're mean. The reality is this, here's who you were apart from Christ. You were under the very wrath and the anger of God, but God, who is rich in mercy and loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. But God is so rich in mercy. 
People, here's what I would encourage you to do today. Never say, God, be fair with me. You don't want God to be fair with you. If God was fair with you, God would cast every single one of us away from his presence. That's fairness. That's justice. Thankfully, God does not deal with us in fairness, in justice. He deals with us in mercy. But God, who is so rich in mercy, the word rich in the Greek is the word elios. It's actually in the present tense, meaning it is a continual action. In other words, God has been rich in mercy in the past. He will be rich in mercy today. He will be rich in mercy in the future because his mercy, as Jeremiah will tell us, is new every single day. That he literally lives in a state of mercy toward us. Now, some of you are going to say, well, in light of that, that's why I'm a New Testament guy. I mean, I don't like the Old Testament God. He's a God of justice. He's a God of judgment. He's a God of wrath. I like the New Testament God that sort of looks the other way with regards to sin, sort of gives me a wink, wink with regards to sin. No, no, no. That is an incredibly wrong view of God. God was a God of justice and mercy in the Old Testament. God is a God of justice and mercy in the New Testament. And too often we are Christians that start in the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 and we end in Revelation chapter 20 and we say in effect, here's where we want to start. We want to start with the fall. That every single one of us is under the sin of God and we come to Revelation chapter 20 and we say, then we're going to be banished from the very presence of God. We're going to be cast into hell forevermore. We're sinners and we're going to hell. But that's not where the scriptures start, and it's not where the scripture ends. The Bible starts with the very goodness of God. In Genesis chapter 1, God, the scripture says, creates everything. The sun, the moon, the stars, all the beauty that we see. And what does he say at the end of each day? It is good. And then on the last day, he creates mankind, the pinnacle of his creation. And now what does he say? It is very good. He says, listen, have fun in the garden, be naked, be fruitful, multiply, do whatever you want, just enjoy my creation and my beauty, but one thing you can't do, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because of the day that you eat it, you will surely die. When they ate of the fruit, did they die? Did God strike them dead? Not physically, but they died spiritually. This is the justice of God in both the Old and the New Testament. There were consequences for Adam and Eve's sin. God said to them, here's the reality. I'm going to greatly increase the pain in your childbearing years. To the man, he says, as you work the ground, there are going to be thorns and thistles that rise up. It's going to be an uphill battle. Everything in this world is going to be tainted by sin because I'm a God of justice, and I'm going to let my justice roll down. But then he does an amazing thing. He makes a decision that he's actually going to slaughter an animal. This is the first time in all of Scripture we see blood flow. He slaughters an animal. He takes the skin of the animal. What does he do with it? He covers the nakedness of Adam and Eve. He covers their sin. He covers their shame in this incredible act of the mercy of God. People, blood was shed for the covering of Adam and Eve's sin and shame. 
Later on, we'll see it take place in the Old Testament of the sacrificial system and the need for a blood of a lamb to be spilled for the forgiveness of the Israelites' sin. We come to the New Testament, we see that Jesus becomes this ultimate Lamb of God who sheds his blood for the sin of mankind. When he comes again in Revelation chapter 22, we see this one riding on a white horse, and the scripture says, and his robe is dipped in blood. Why? Because the writer of the book of Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness of sin. And one day when he comes again, according to Revelation 21 and 22, he's going to restore everything. He's going to make everything back to the way that it was in Genesis chapter 1, simply because of the goodness of God. He is a God of justice, but he's a God of mercy as well. Let me give you a couple examples. The first of them would be David and Bathsheba. Do you remember that sin that David committed? He saw Bathsheba on a rooftop as she was bathing And he actually had a servant go get her, and the two of them committed sin together. And now in the midst of this, certainly the consequences of David's sin were rained down in his life. That was the justice of God. But now the scripture says that David actually goes out and seeks the very mercy of God. In fact, he would rather seek mercy from God than he would mercy from other people. In 2 Samuel, it says this, let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But do not let me fall into human hands. Way back in David already, David recognized that when he sinned, when he failed in life, what he needed to do more than anything else was to run to God. Where did he want to go? He didn't want to go to man because man, when you and I sin, will often pile on with us, won't we? Shame us, make us feel bad. But God, who is rich in mercy, is the very person that David wanted to go to because he wanted to receive grace. He wanted to receive the mercy of God. He recognized what his sin deserved. But he sought out mercy in the refuge of God. We follow a little bit along in the, New Ta- or in the Old Testament. We recognize the building of the temple. You know when you get there in your Bible reading and they give all of the dimension of the temple and you think to yourself, let me just skip my Bible reading today. I mean, this is as boring as it gets. They talk about the portico, and here's how many cubits it should be. They talk about the storage areas and how many cubits those should be. Talks about the gold and how it should be laid and the silver and how it should be laid, and we're bored with the whole thing. But eventually, as you listen to the building of the temple, they say, listen, in the center of the temple, right where God's presence is, I want you to place a mercy seat. A mercy seat where the high priest would come in once a year and sprinkle blood for the forgiveness of the sins of people. In other words, he's saying, right where my presence resides, right in the center of my home, because it's in the center of my heart, I want you to know that there is mercy. It's one of the reasons that the half-brother of Jesus, James, would say, mercy triumphs over judgment. In other words, that the mercy of God that was there in the Old Testament, certainly we see it in the New Testament, triumphs over everything in this world because of his grace and his mercy toward you. Now let me just say this for a moment. Isn't it true that if you and I and believers in Jesus Christ have been given incredible mercy, shouldn't you and I be dispensers of mercy to others as well? Do you know what keeps non-believers away from coming to know God more than anything else? Not God and his attributes. You know what keeps them away? 
Christians that are judgmental, hypocritical, and people who lack mercy. The number one thing that keeps non-Christians from coming to know God is not the character of God, it's the character of us. So what should be our message? Our message should be that Jesus stands at the door of your heart and he knocks, and if you'd open the door, he's willing to come in. So our message ought to be to every single person out there without any judgment, hey, listen, come to Jesus. We recognize there's consequences for people's sin, but come to Jesus. Come with your hurts, come with your habits, come with your hang-ups, come with your failure, come with your sin, come with your addiction, just come. And what's always amazing to me is we say, in effect, listen, if you got any doubt in those kinds of things, just stay away from church. I mean, all we want here is people who don't have any doubt. People, I'd say just the opposite. The safest place for you to come with your doubts and your questions and your struggles should be to the church of Jesus Christ. People, if you got problems with the church, can I tell you I got problems with the church? I give you a list longer than you could give me of the sins and the failures of the church. This is not a perfect church. There isn't a perfect church out there, so stop looking for it. But at some point in time, I want to encourage you to come. Just come. Come into the presence of this God who is merciful. Come into this presence of this God who went to the cross of Calvary to redeem you. Just come. The door is wide open to you. So we talked about three things. What's justice? Justice is when you and I get what we deserve. Grace is when you and I get what we don't deserve. None of us deserve salvation, but we've been given it freely through Jesus Christ. And mercy is when you and I don't get what we deserve. I've got to say this to you because it's critical. Mercy is not free. You know that, don't you? This is sort of the emotional part of it, if you will. When you and I sin, what are the wages of sin? Death, right? Because of the holiness and the righteousness of God, somebody's got to die, and that should have been you. But instead of you dying, God made a decision that he was going to take your sin and he was going to place it on the shoulders of Jesus as he dies on the cross of Calvary. And now he looks at Jesus as if he would look at you filled with your sin, filled with your failure, filled with your shortcomings. And because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, now he looks at you like he would look at Jesus, spotless, unblemished, sinless, due to the finished work of Jesus Christ. People, every single one of us ought to be thankful for mercy, but it didn't come free. It came with the death of his one and only son. And you and I ought to stand in the presence of the character of God, recognizing how merciful and gracious he is to us, and you and I ought to bow in his presence. In fact, Paul puts it this way, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you, I plead with you, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. In other words, your true worship is not just singing a few songs on Sunday morning. Your true worship is to sort of die to yourself, take up your cross and follow after Jesus in view of God's mercies to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. God, here's what you are worthy of, everything about me.
God, I die to myself and I live to you. That's what you as the merciful God are worthy of. Now, some of you are say to me this morning, well, that's great, and I'm thankful for the mercy of God, but I'm still hurting. Going through some difficulties and struggles in life. I want to remind you as our anxiety builds that anxiety is often because you and I are looking at tomorrow and not fixing and focusing on today. Jesus said, listen, I don't want you to look tomorrow. I want you to be focused on today because today's got enough worries of its own. And isn't it true when you and I are filled with anxieties because we've borrowed trouble in tomorrow? We've looked at tomorrow and we thought everything's going to turn out horrible and for that reason we live anxiety-filled today. We look at somebody who's going through a divorce and we say, in fact, I don't know how I'd handle it if I was going through that. We look at somebody who has the death of a loved one and we go, I don't know how I'd handle it if I was going through that. We look at somebody who's been diagnosed with cancer and we say, listen, I don't know how I'd handle it if I was going through that. You're right. You don't know how you'd handle it until you get there. Where does Jeremiah tell us that new mercies come? In the morning, right? In the break of a new day. That if you were to get in tomorrow and there was to be trouble in tomorrow, then here's the reality. The mercies of God that are new every single day will meet you there and carry you through. It's one of the reasons that David would say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. You were with me yesterday in my mercy. You were with me today in your mercies. You will be with me tomorrow in my mercies because here's the reality. Your mercies are new every single day. You live in a perpetual state of mercy. It's this ongoing thing that is there yesterday, today, and forever. Because this is one of my favorite verses. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Any of you remember that old hymn? Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. If you were encouraged by today's talk, check out our Sunnybrook Unscripted podcast, where we talk real life, answer questions, and take a deeper practical look at the topics we talk about on a Sunday morning. For other talks, videos, and live gatherings, rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Download the Sunnybrook Church app or visit us at sunnybrookchurch.org. And again, thanks for listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast.